Welcome to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. On this show, we discuss how to develop the newest nuanced hard skills needed to become an exceptional leader who can drive significant systemic change to make real impact. I work with leaders in healthcare, research, STEM, and other technical fields working toward that goal, but we also go beyond those industries. This is the second season, so we are naturally focused on the second stage of my strategic leadership pathway model, which is developing leadership identity. And today we have a great person to speak to this, Dr. Ludmila Praslova. And she's gonna talk about from margin to mattering, how to lead neurodivergently. Welcome Ludmila. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here and I look forward to our conversation. I know you have some great questions that come from your model and from this great area of research. Absolutely. Can't wait to dig in. So as a reminder, audience, we value evidence-based practical solutions. So be ready, take notes, reflect deeply. I always take notes, right? And identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscles as you're listening to this. Now, let me introduce Ludmilla for a second. Dr. Ludmilla Praslova is an IO psychologist and HR professional and the author of The Canary Code, A Guide to Neurodiversity, Dignity, and Intersectional Belonging at Work, which is coming out in April. Look it up. Super exciting. I'm, I'm excited about it. She is a professor of graduate Industrial Organizational Psychology and Accreditation Liaison Officer at Vanguard University of South Southern California. And she's a global inclusive talent strategy expert with extensive experience in global, global diversity and neurodiversity. Her current consulting is focused on creating organizational systems for inclusion and well-being and providing neuroinclusion training and support to organizations such as Amazon, Bank of America, IBM. MIT, Affinity Health, and she regularly writes for Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Psychology Today, and is the first person to have published in Harvard Business Review from an autistic perspective. It's an excellent article. Look it up. I'm sure that she is going to be referencing it along with other things. Um, Ludmilla and I connected interestingly around this interest when she posted a really thoughtful instructional video. It was just a minute long on LinkedIn, but I was immediately drawn to it. I initially trained in neuropsychology and had worked with kids with ADHD and autism, both as a school counselor and a psychologist who conducted neuropsychological assessments and who developed recommendations for these um, types of accommodations for, for kids and adults. Um, so now I'm naturally very interested in leadership development, consulting, and coaching with leaders of lots of backgrounds, including those with neurodiversity, and specific to this current season on developing leadership identity. This is really important because it's a way that we can really think about how does identity play into leadership development. So that's kind of where we're going to come at this from. You excited, Ludmilla? Ready to go? Absolutely. So much to talk about, so little time. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, let's start with just like terms, right? Neurodiversity is a relatively new term. We didn't used to have it. 
And in fact, um, people in the clinical and educational psychology world don't use this term as often as terms like neurodevelopmental condition. So um, that's the clinical and education term, right? And it's specifically used for diagnostic assessment and intervention. But um, I'm wondering, why do you think this, this term neurodiversity emerged, and especially for the world of work, and why it's important? Yes. Um, by the way, thank you for this generous introduction. <laughs> Forget to say that. Uh, neurodiversity is an idea emerged in late 1990s. And uh, a lot of it came kind of in conversations, in chat rooms that when internet became kind of a new place for um, new thought development, specifically uh, in autistic web spaces. And um, then uh, Judy Singer and uh, Harry Bloom kind of around the same time, around 1998, uh, published using that term neurodiversity and Judy um, Singer kind of defined it more from a sociological perspective and uh, drew a distinction between the medical perspective that some people call pathology perspective on differences like autism or ADHD or dyslexia and neurodiversity perspective which is acknowledgement that those differences in how we think or in our emotional intensity and our focus and perception are not necessarily bad things that need correction, but are necessary on the group levels. If you think in terms of biodiversity, it's really not good for the field to just ever have one crop. It's not good when you have just one kind of fish in the pond. It introduces all kinds of disease, vulnerability, weakness. So mm -hmm. if you think about human groups, if we just hire one kind of people in the organization, which unfortunately does happen, and we leave out people who are different, who come up with their, our unusual ideas, who are more sensitive to certain conditions, we lose group level strength. So neurodiversity for humanity is like biodiversity for life. It's really something that strengthens the group. Unfortunately, for a very long time, different cultures um, created those neuronormativity norms in which uh, those differences that are actually helpful on the group level uh, became uh, rejected and uh, thought of poorly on the individual level. That is um, a really great visual to think about the biodiversity, just like you, you think about like, what is a healthy ecosystem in the ocean, right? Exactly. Biodiversity, right. So um, how, did, how did you get into this, Lyudmila? Um, share a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this area. I've always been interested in diversity. And that started actually before the neurodiversity term was uh, there. And uh, my first emphasis on diversity was global diversity, intercultural work. So on the, on the level of national level cultures. And then I kind of started taking this thinking into other areas. And I always had a passion for creating organizations that don't just focus on one thing. Because kind of early in my career, I was in an organization that was 
very attuned to global diversity, very attuned to global level cultures. But when it came to gender inclusion, uh-uh, that wasn't there. So I was always like, why are they so good with one kind of difference, but really not very good with another kind of difference? How do we create organizations that are welcoming of all kinds of differences in humanity. So that was really kind of the start of a quest. I wanted to figure out how to create organizations that are not just, okay, we focus on national culture or on gender or on whatever, and then other things we just, you know, don't have the capacity or someday uh, that never comes. And then um, after, you know, <laughs> working in this various... Uh, aspects of diversity for a while, I again came across a situation when there was gender inclusion and actually a gender program for leadership development, very <laughs> appropriate for this conversation, but it was completely exclusionary for autistic women. And it just kind of upset me to no end because I started my career journey with, you know, Let's bring gender inclusion in addition to national level culture inclusion. And and we're still dealing with things like, okay, let's do gender inclusion. And it's still not working because in this particular case, uh, women were told, you know, just change yourselves and be as manly as you can, which is unfortunately very true of many um, leadership programs. And any kind of different psychological approaches or more gentle ways of leadership were not welcome. And that just kind of, that precipitated a personal crisis um, among other variables. There were other things going on that maybe uh, just wonder like what's wrong with me? Is it my cultural background? Is it my social economic background? And then I started thinking, no, there's just something deeper than that uh it's like my it's my actual brain wiring that's not agreeing with this particular system and so then uh, then i self-diagnosed as autistic and then i officially diagnosed and so that kind of opened my eyes to deep level of uh, diversity that really needs to be there for people to create organizations that are inclusive and that's really something that uh, uh, precipitated development of this model of the canary code if you include those who are most mar marginalized in multiple ways most sensitive to anything negative that's going on in an organization you really can create organizations that are welcoming to all kinds of diversity uh, what a journey. And um, yeah, I I talk about this a lot. I can really just appreciate um, how frustrating it is when um, you take some of the most marginalized people, create programs for them, and all of a sudden, the programs themselves are not supportive. They're more about like fix you kind of programs, um, which is highly um, frustrating and insulting. And then also doesn't take into consideration the diversity within the group itself that you've decided to sort of randomly choose around, you know, one um, area of diversity, but not like really think through the entire picture of whole identity, right? Um, so, so definitely appreciate you speaking to that. And yeah. so um, I 
really like what you said here. My brain did not agree with the system. Love that because um, the system pushes out people whose brains do not agree with the system. Exactly. <laughs> right. But um, to think about it in that way, to think about um, just because somebody's brain doesn't agree with the system doesn't mean there's something wrong with that person's brain, right? Or who they are. Um, there is something about the system that is not inclusive or accepting enough to feel like you can belong in that system if that's the situation, right? Is that kind of how exactly. you're thinking? About it? Yes. You can't belong. You can't matter. You get pushed aside and you start doubting uh, that, okay, maybe in other situations it was a fluke. And maybe in this situation, I maybe I really am not cut out for those things. So it can definitely do a number on a person. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we are going to take a little ad break here. When we come back, I really want to dig into the connection between neurodiversity, leading neurodiversity um, and developing this leadership identity. Like what is the crossover? So um, you're listening to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku and our guest, Dr. Lamila Kraslova. And we air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time. If you would like to join our online audience and ask questions that we can answer in real time, we are here. We will answer in real time. You can find us on LinkedIn or on YouTube at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be right back with Lidmila in just a moment. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
welcome back to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and with our guest, Dr. Ludmilla Praslova. So we just got done sort of defining how did the term neurodiversity come to be? Why did it come to be? Why are we focusing on it? Um, how do you see this um, idea of neurodiversity connecting with um, our season on developing leadership identity? How, how do you think about leadership identity and where neurodiversity fits in, Ludmilla? Oh my goodness, so many interactions. And uh, so the way I think about identity development is ultimately it's social psychology. It's a social relational process. Leadership is also a social process. So we don't develop identity in a vacuum or leadership. Both are formed through our relationships with our various social niches, you know, starting at home, uh, school, various groups that we interact with. And the feedback we get is a big part of this process. So there are really two pieces, the societal piece and individual piece, and then in those. So if we think about the societal piece, we know there are leadership schemas. There's a lot of research that people have particular expectations. When we ask people to close their eyes and, you know, you can just do it and say, so what is your ideal leader or what is your finance leader? And then we can ask, okay, what is your education leader uh, mental image? And you might get certain, certain differences, but... Most people, let's say, if we ask for a leader in finance, um, might look a little bit different than a leader in education. The second is more likely uh, to, you know, have more of a feminine characteristics. But for the most part, it's a very loud, outgoing, masculine image that most people will get in uh, their leadership schema. So if you don't match any of those characteristics, it's very hard for people to see you as a leader. So the more difference you have from that schema uh, that people have about leaders, the harder it is for people to see you as a leader. So it influences leadership emergence in the group uh, because of just who people pay attention to because of their schemas. And that's usually the taller and the louder people, at least in the American culture and most Western cultures. And uh, if you are uh, someone who doesn't match on just one characteristic, you're likely you're less likely to emerge. And if you don't match on multiple characteristics, you're less and less likely to be naturally looked at as a leader. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It's but it takes more. Um, effort from you or a stronger crisis to override those kinds of perceptions and uh, biases that most people just are not aware of consciously. They just kind of do it. And um, so then when you get this kind of feedback from your environment, you naturally start positioning yourself in a way that the society is pushing you into. So you're a leadership identity is going to be colored by those experiences. Obviously, there are ways to work on it and uh, get through it, but it's not easy. You can build self-confidence, but you might do a little bit 
more intentional work or take more of a zigzaggy path to leadership because the traditional ladder keeps pushing you down. So you kind of have to, you know, climb the wall or do something that's a little bit different and, you know, take the, um, a, a different path. So I can, and I'm happy to elaborate on those things as well. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I um, really love how you conceptualize that, um, you know, how identity and leadership are both social processes. And um, the messages that we receive about leadership is what we start believing about leadership. And you have two paths then, right? You either must conform to the idea of the, the messages that you receive about what leadership is like. And, in, and, and the risk to that is obviously um, you feeling completely disconnected from the role you're, you're trying to take on or to um, display out there in the world to feel accepted as a leader. Um, or the opposite is to reject becoming a leader altogether, um, uh, or tell yourself you can never um, move into leadership spaces because of what you've been told, right? Yes. And it's very hard. So collectively, we need to work on uh, changing our attitudes, changing the role models. But then the changing the definition of leadership and how it's seen, I think it's happening because the world is becoming more diverse. But it's not something that's going to happen very easily on itself. We still need to work on uh, intentionally showing different kinds of role models and um, trying to change uh, those kinds of biases. But as individuals, we can also do a few things. If uh, we just kind of give up, it's obviously not going to help anything, even though not everyone has to be a leader. Some people are very happy doing other things. Uh, so people are not required to be a leader to have value in life. However, if there is something that you just kind of inclined to, but society doesn't necessarily see you that way, there are a few things we can do to build our leadership self-efficacy and the confidence in our ability to lead, which comes through experience. Uh, I mean, there, there's something to mindset and psyching yourself, but nothing is um, strong enough to replace the actual experience of success. But if we define leadership in more than one way and select our environment and lead in environments that are more accepting of different types of leadership or start with ERG, uh, start with your community group, uh, become leader that is a mentor. It's a different form of leadership. Thought leadership is something I've been talking about. So you can build your leadership self-efficacy in different ways. It doesn't have to be positional hierarchical within organization, even though ideally, of course, I would love to see more representation there, but there are ways to develop your identity. Uh, so we can design our experience through that. And then we can also just be aware of those negative thoughts. It's, it's not fun that we have to do it because it takes a lot of energy out of us to just, uh, you know, keep reminding ourselves, you know, don't be brought down by all those things that happen. But to certain extent, um, we can do it. We can uh, direct our thoughts, even though, again, 
ideally I would love to see social change that would not put this extra psychological tax on already marginalized people of working through all those things that society throws at us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a lot to work through. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, uh, that that we work on in my Towerscope Leadership Academy, as well as just like through coaching and consulting is, um, you know, helping women, especially women from marginalized backgrounds, tease apart, like, what part of this whole situation is me? And what am I bringing here, both in terms of strengths and potential pitfalls or liabilities, blind spots, whatever that is. Um, but then what part is are those societal messages that I've incorporated that actually are not mine, um, that um, I'm sort of uh, believing, right? And that is causing harm to me that I need to let go of or unlearn or whatever, right? Um, and then what part is the other person and their thing? And um, being able to tease that apart is not easy. And, um, but once you're able to sort of learn how to do that better and better, um, that kind of thing helps anybody. I mean, it helps every single person be more effective in um, engaging in any kind of situation, right? Just to be able to know yourself, understand and assess the situation um, and try to figure out like, okay, that's that part is not about me, right? But I really appreciate what you said that um, there's an additional burden on uh, people with marginalized backgrounds that like, um, is it really fair to add that additional burden to learn all of this stuff and to try to unlearn or separate or um, work even harder to engage people around. That's a lot of work. Yes, it's, it's a lot of work. It's unfair. So the, the whole thing of unfairness is, a, is an additional thing to work through. And uh, But that, again, is not something that we can wish away, but we can work it away slowly and collectively yeah so um let's let's get into that a little bit so um you know what um what are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about more um in order to create a system where um we don't have to work so hard to undo unlearn separate um at least marginalized leaders and make it a little bit more um, equitable how we engage in um, embracing lots of different kinds of leadership and accepting that. Like, wh what's the path to that? <laughs> there are four chapters on this in my book. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> let me try to narrow this down. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think one thing uh, that would help generally all organizations and all people is to move away from this very rigid idea of cultural fit or just generally personal fit and just this one model of what human being is allowed to be and more specifically what a leader is allowed to be. If we just evaluate those norms and say, okay, so this is a core value. This is really important. But this is generally just something that people did in 1950s and we just never took care of getting rid of it. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, just kind of baggage in cultures uh, that is unnecessary, that's making lives 
harder for people. So whether it's appearance expectations or how people define professional behavior, like you're never allowed to cry. So if you ever cry in public, like you're done, there's a big cross on you. You know what? That person can have huge talent and huge love for organization to the point that this person cried in front of others because they love their organization and their co-workers so much. So let's just not cut out people who are passionate about things and have intense emotional experience because uh, you're going to get rid of some of your literally strongest, most committed contributors if you do this. So evaluate those norms and what we consider fit and whether those things actually make sense. And again, there is values fit. But then people throw all kinds of personal biases into what they define as a culture fit. So that's one thing that all organizations can do. And for leadership, just redefine of what constitutes leadership and maybe go away from this. Uh, you either fit in this one size that we just decided on and that's been passed down through who knows how many generations. And maybe leadership in this kind of world in which we live in looks, sounds differently than uh, it did before. And uh, maybe we do need multiple modes of leadership to address the levels of complexity that we're dealing with. Awesome. Let's stop there. We're going to um, return right after this ad break to get into what are those benefits of seeing leadership in different ways and thinking about leaders in different ways. Um, you're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and our guest, Dr. Ludmila Praslova. We air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. Feel free to drop us a line right now and we can answer you back um, on YouTube or LinkedIn at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be Frank About Health with all of you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
welcome back on the hard skills with me and Dr. Proslova on leading neurodivergently. So we just got um, done talking about um, some things that organizations can do to start adjusting um, and leaning into new ways of being and doing and letting go of some old unhelpful norms and those norms that actually don't meet the needs of today's global um, ever-changing experience in, in the world of work. Um, so, so you mentioned redefining leadership is important and letting go of um, ex our expectational or norm baggage. <laughs> um, let's talk about the benefits of leading neurodivergently specifically. Why should we embrace this? Well, I wish we didn't need... I wish we didn't need a business case for everything because I prefer going with just a human case. It's the right thing to do. However, people do want their business case. So uh, if we think about modern organizations, we are talking about challenges such as dealing with complexity. We're talking about challenges uh, such as uh, decision-making in the uncertain world and saving puzzles that never existed until this morning. And we talk about paying attention to emotional well-being of employees, of leading with empathy. And many leaders are burned out because they're expected to do all of this. And it just becomes so that leadership has becoming increasingly stressful and uh, almost impossible thing to do to meet all those competing expectations. And burnouts levels, the intentions to quit their jobs are very high among uh, leaders in various positions. But let's think about it in a different way. Um, we also talk more and more about leadership teams. Still, when we have leadership teams in which people work where their strength and focus maybe 75% of their time on something that they're really, really, really good at, which is whether it's dealing empathetically with employees or say, uh, solving those intellectual puzzles, whatever is their preferred mode of functioning, because we all have different modes of functioning. If we create, again, diverse teams, thinking about diversity as a group level phenomenon, we can get people who are really, really good at something, dedicating more time to that thing that they're really good at, and then other people also doing the thing that they're really good at. And that is much better than splitting one person in 45 different ways of which they only get to work maybe 10 or 25% of time with their top strengths. So when we bring people who have all those different, uh, we call it spiky profiles of abilities. They're really, really good at something and they're not necessarily best at everything. And we capitalize on their, on their spikes of talents, whatever it is. And then we create a complementary leadership team that creates a much more effective approach to leadership on the organizational level than having uh, you know, three clones. You, you don't want people who are the same. Uh, we need different strengths to address the complexity and different types of problems. 
Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> capitalize on spikes of talents like that. <laughs> um, more and more, um, we do need to function as leadership teams and many people, um, from, um, a variety of different backgrounds have, um, gotten really good at learning how to function on teams, um, because they might have more of a collaborative or collectivistic mindset, um, which by the way, before used to be devalued, um, or not even seen, you know, um, I think about, um, women who do a lot of this unrecognized emotional labor of, um, getting people together to, um, build, um, uh, support or, or cohesion or, um, you, you know, make collaborative decisions and, um, um, you know, the work of DE&I work is, is often, you know, this kind of work. And um, it's often undervalued, unseen um, work. And yet, those are the very skills that we need more than ever in the top um, leadership teams of organizations in order to meet all of those demands that you just mentioned, right? And so why are we leaving talent on the table, right? Why? Um, you know, you're, you're not uh, you're not going to be highly competitive if you're leaving all of that talent on the table. Exactly. It's really not a good long-term approach for organizations. It may feel like something, but it's so much easier to be homogenous right now because I'm stressed out right now. But you know what? You're going to be stressed out, uh, you know, a year from now and five years from now. And if you don't develop this long-term strength, uh, it eventually will get to you. Absolutely. And you just think about um, all of the leaders now who are extremely stressed out, burned out, stretched thin, exhausted, and how um, better it would feel for them to have a team around them that picked up um, the, the areas that you mentioned that may not be a strength or may not be an interest or may require way more effort than they want to put into something, but somebody else is like super passionate about it. I mean, that's kind of a no brainer. Um, so, so tell us about a little bit about the frameworks that you think about in your book. You said you had four chapters on this. We spoke a little bit about, um, you know, defining leader, redefining leadership and, um, you know, um, letting go of those expect the expectational baggage um, what else should organizations be thinking about if they're going to lean into sort of some of this team leadership um, and getting better at uh, more, in, you know, an inclusive, healthy workplace? Oh, goodness. Again, it's uh, there, there's quite a lot. But if you think about leadership pipelines, I want organizations to get rid of the term, uh, not a leadership material, mm. because you don't know what kind of leadership you're going to need tomorrow. And uh, in the changing world and in the changing situations, uh, very often uh, you will need very different kinds of leaders. And I, and I think we need different kinds of leaders now than we needed four years ago. And also very often this idea of, uh, you know, this nine grade who has potential, who does not have potential, 
uh, it's so influenced by bias mm -hmm. that at the very least, I want those tools to be used with a lot of caution. But I think we'll lose a lot of people on this early stage of identifying who gets into the leadership pipeline and into the leadership development programs. And then sometimes they could create us, you know, the special program on the side, uh, but it's never taken, it's not necessarily taken seriously by all organizations. And sometimes it kind of leads in this a very particular uh, ceiling bound uh, track that is not the same as like the leadership pipeline for everyone else. So I just want to think about the bigger pipeline and more branches of the pipeline that are aligned more with individual level talents and think that there are different kinds of leadership and different kinds of leadership potential. Because again, uh, this idea of who is leadership material is very much influenced by all the biases and also the tightrope that's uh you know often used when we talk about gender that women are expected to you know be uh just this bit of of assertive but never aggressive and there's a very fine line between um you know you're too weak versus you're too much and then when you add other intersectionalities it's even harder so i want people to be very aware of those biases in, ident in identifying leadership potential. Absolutely, it's um, a book from 1992, um, Breaking the Glass Ceiling, where they use the term, um, uh, the narrow band of acceptable behavior for women, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and that's exactly what, what you referred to. Um, I'm curious about women with autism, women with ADHD, um, what are these sort of additional intersectional challenges for them when they're thinking about leadership? Well, again, there are very specific biases. When it comes to autistic people, uh, well, A, people don't even imagine women, and then they have all those um, ideas that are formed by, let's say, media and movie portrayals. They're not necessarily aligned with um, the leadership. And then ADHD dyslexia might be a little bit more, but then there's very really particular entrepreneurial type of leadership rather than hierarchical in organization. In organizations, so there's this kind of bias. And when it comes to autistic people, it's more like, okay, that's an individual contributor and uh, never beyond individual contributors. So there are very specific biases, even though we do have incredible examples of all kinds of people in all kinds of positions, but this typecasting is an issue. And then uh, the one size fits all uh, leadership imagery. Imagery is also difficult. So let's say you are um, an, a woman who is uh, from ADHD community. Uh, well, women are expected to organize everyone else. And mm -hmm. if people think, oh, this person has ADHD, so she won't be able to even organize herself, that really pigeonholes you, even though uh, this person could have incredible skills that are that actually make her more organized than others. And uh, there are autistic people who can do 
you know, all kinds of, like, if you look at me right now, you're not going to think I'm autistic because you don't usually associate it with someone who's been a university professor for years and has zero stage fright. Mm-hmm. But I do have my things where they're not st- stage fright, but people just imagine things uh, that are not true because of stereotypes. So there are actual difficulties that are associated with whether being autistic or uh, many people can have both ADHD and autistic traits. But uh, when uh, people from our neurodivergent communities uh, kind of interact with organizations, there's additional criticisms, additional expectations, and, uh, and also the lifelong bullying and lifelong people telling you like everything about you is wrong. So none of those things help. There's a lot of abuse and bullying that's been happening um, throughout our lives, which is yet another baggage you don't want. And then we're dealing with those uh, situations that just trigger our psychological response. And many people uh, say that in addition to being autistic, for example, you also have complex PTSD. The same thing with uh, ADHD because you're constantly criticized. Or let's say dyslexic people are always told all kinds of negative things about their abilities, which are not a, not true, but it's a perception of their abilities by other people. So, so there's a layer of actual difficulties. There's a layer of trauma and there's a layer of bias that's uh, kind of specific to each uh, type of neurodivergent group. But there's also a lot of overlap in that all of those things uh, tend to be traumatizing and damaging to our self-identity. Absolutely. And when when it's um, damaging to your self-identity, um, you lose out on opportunities, but so does the organization. And some of those opportunities are um, that people who have learned to overcome or work through and and still push through those challenges um, have some strengths the rest of us do not, that not has not had to face that. Some of it is constantly being able to translate back and forth from the neurotypical um, way of being and doing and appearing um, to you know, what feels natural to you, that's a translation process, right? And that, yes. that kind of um, uh, thing that, that is being strengthened in your ability to do that is, you know, uh, fairly impressive. And, and a lot of us don't ever use our brains that way to be able to do that. The other is just um, sometimes the resiliency and thick skin to face, um, you know, these constant challenges um, if you're able to sort of face them and come out the other end with something that um, a framework or a way of addressing and protecting or supporting others um, who are going through that, um, that brings a lot to an organization and to other people um, who just have not learned how to do those kinds of things or face those kinds of challenges in adversity. So um, again, we're just missing out on opportunities here, I think. So um, when we come back, let's talk about some opportunities um, that you you all can be thinking about um, in terms of supporting those who lead neurodivergently. Again, um, you are listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and with our guest, Dr. Ludmila Praslova. We'll be right back. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? 
Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and with our guest, Dr. Ludmilla Praslova. Oh my gosh, the time has flown and I want another hour with you, Ludmilla. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> okay. But seriously, um, we've touched on a lot of um, things today. We talked about, um, you know, the the challenges to why we aren't currently able to see people uh, with neurodiversity in leadership roles and also the challenges they experience with being seen um, and accepted in those leadership roles. We've talked about what organizations can do um, and what to think about. What is um, one takeaway that you would like people to leave with today that, um, that is important to you? Well, there's something that we can do as individuals and as groups, and that is pay attention to those cognitive schemas and how they bias our evaluation. So let's say when you're hiring and you just kind of think, oh, this person is not going to be culture fit. Ask yourself why. Or if you're saying, oh, this person is not a leadership material. Ask yourself why and check if those societally shaped, shaped schemas and biases are influencing you and then bring it up to your group. Bring it up to your search committee or other people who are involved in the hiring process and bring it up to your entire organization. Maybe you could create forms that explicitly remind people to uh, check for those uh, biases. And that might be something that can eventually help people to become collectively less and less influenced by uh, those schemes. So challenge yourself and challenge whatever is your influence realm. 
to create a more inclusive definition of leadership. Love it. Okay, so everyone that's listening, I want you to find four other people and you each write down, what is my definition of leadership? Write down your definition, compare notes and ask each other, why do we think that, right? <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so um, where can people find out more about your work and especially what will they learn um, from your book, The Canary Code? Well, I, I hope The Canary Code is going to be uh, something that will help leaders of all the different levels, decision makers, uh, and individuals who are also trying to build their careers, even though it's specifically for uh, CEOs, leaders, HR managers, but it's also uh, written in a way that hopefully everyone can benefit. And um, it's hopefully a guide to creating organizations that are structurally more inclusive. So this is something that you can practically use in your everyday work. How do you work with uh, people who puzzle you? How do you change this puzzle from stress and threat to something positive? To what do we do with those differences? And uh, how do we collectively create better organizations? So that's the goal of the book, to help us to... Uh, again, in whatever is our realm of interest, influence, which might be bigger than we think, whether it's through ERGs or we are on top of the company, there is some kind of level of influence that we can uh, help create more inclusive and kinder workplaces that also support everyone's well-being. So canaries... Uh, Canaries in the coal mine were real. That it's not a story or a folk tale. It's the actual canaries that went into coal mines for decades and um, finally were replaced by uh, carbon monoxide detectors. But uh, there's nothing wrong with canary. Canary is not broken. Sensitivity is a feature and it's helpful. And if canary can breathe safely, Everyone can breathe safely. So the idea is to help us to create organizations that are safe for people who are more sensitive to toxic, bullying, negative, dangerous environments. And when we do that, we create better environments for everybody. So that's where the title comes from. That's why the Canary Code. I'm so glad that you explained the title. I love it. Um, it, it you can really relate to that experience. And just to put a real fine point on something that you mentioned, we all, it doesn't matter what position you're in, we all have a sphere of influence around us. And you can pick up this book and think about what is my sphere of influence? How can I apply these regardless of the role that I'm in, right? So we've learned a lot today. Um, Please share with us on LinkedIn what you learned. This is where we live, LinkedIn. Um, our, you know, the, the talk radio and, and um, the hard skills is in a lot of places, but LinkedIn is where we live. So share with us what you learned. Um, what was your takeaway? If you would like to explore how I can help you with leadership and team development services, check us out at www.gotowerscope.com. 
the application process for our 2024 Tower Scope Leadership Academy cohort is now open. There's both an annual um, membership and a 12-week option. And um, we make decisions as we begin interviewing. And um, you need to apply by January 22nd if you want to get in for this year. So please do. Audience, what did you take away? Please share with us. And thank you to Talk Radio for hosting. I am Dr. Mira Bronku, the host of The Hard Skill Show. This is Dr. Ludmilla Praslova. Thank you for joining us today, Ludmilla. And have a great rest of your day, wherever you're tuning in from. Thank you, Ludmilla. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a wonderful conversation. And if you ever want to talk more, I'm happy to figure something out. We are going to continue. Yes. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be frank about health with all of you. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, 
have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to the hard skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 